Hey, it's Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dreamtime, and wow, it's been a while since I've made one of these. I've almost forgotten that I was supposed to do it. Sorry. Well, today's episode is one that I've been thinking about a lot lately, but it hadn't really come together, but it kind of did just a few minutes ago, so I'm going to share it with you. And today, that that George Harrison tune went on a bit long, but I was really enjoying it, and I hope you did too. It's very profound and sweet. Um, so today's episode is going to be called The Living Bardo. And it's really been inspired by some work I've been doing lately with people and people's getting in touch with me, wanting to do work, and how they understand uh, the sort of work I've been doing and what their aspirations are. A lot of it has to do with psychedelics, um, but what's really been helpful in the work I've been doing is showing people in their astrology the structures of their consciousness that precede all their experiences and actually cause them. That when you look at somebody's astrology chart, what you don't see is the reason they are the way they are or the pieces that make up the whole. What you see is like a hologram of their consciousness as it's propelled into this life. And you see the way that it impacts the field of experience that they're encountering during their life. And, you know, the reason I'm calling this episode The Living Bardo is because that's something that is in Tibetan Buddhism. The notion of the bardo, which is the space, the non-physical space that your consciousness is in before this lifetime and it returns to after this lifetime. And I'm not going to get too much into the metaphysics of that. Um, that might be another, another time to dis- there might be another time to discuss that. But what I will say is there's also this notion of the living bardo. And the living bardo is what we're all in right now in physical reality with bodies and fingers and toes and feet and eyes and ears and skin and organs. And the way that our consciousness is conditioned by those conditions that it's sort of, we're all in this biodegradable spacesuit that works in physical reality and it has a half-life you know or a full life really when it's going to lose its integrity and we're not going to be able to use it to ground our experiences in the living bardo anymore like we couldn't before we had it and we can't after we have it. And one of the things that they emphasize in 
uh, Tibetan Buddhism about the, the after death bardo is you really want to be able to let go of the conditioning that you have had in the body, you know, using your eyes and your ears and your brain and your memories and your conditioned states that your memories and your biographies have created. Well, what I work with people to help them with is realizing that they come into the living bardo this lifetime in a conditioned state, that they're propelled into it with conditioned structures already in their consciousness. And everybody's is completely eccentric and different from everybody else's. It's so unusual because I've seen a thousand astrology charts and I know that I never see one and think like, oh, this reminds me of this other one I've seen or this one has, it's sort of like this one. They're all so unique. I know it's used as analogy of a thumbprint or DNA before, but everybody comes into this life with their own preconditioned capacities. And I know that that sounds kind of punitive, like we're conditioned to be a certain way, but it's my belief in it from working with people and from seeing people, not just with their astrology, but with their psychedelic states and the way people dream and the transformations that happen when people develop meditation practices that within these preconditioned states are axes of transformation built into these states, built into these conditioned states that we bring into this, into our lives that cause us to experience our parents a certain way and our environment a certain way and our culture a certain way and our peers a certain way and our bodies a certain way. And Wallace sounds like some kind of prison that we're locked into. Actually, it's a vortex of possibility for every single person, no matter where they find themselves within, you know, it can happen in the last minutes of somebody's life. I've seen that happen. Um, it doesn't have to happen in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 50s, though it can. Everybody's got a, it's preordained is not the right word, but sort of pre-selected uh, vortices of transformation that are going to happen during periods of their lives where their consciousness can be expanded and transformed oftentimes just by their own sensitivities and their own capacity for insights if that's what they're interested in because there's actually nothing else going on in this uh, physical reality other than those opportunities and you know you could, there's love and there's creativity and there's discipline and there's determination and there's achievement and there's suffering and there's all those things and everybody gets their combination of that and insight but everybody is on this what I th like to think of as a transformative journey if they take the opportunity and the other thing that's really interesting about that is the places where people suffer 
where people are denied their happiness, where they're denied their realization, where they're denied their successes, that is where transformation is pressing on them the hardest. And and they're either not yet realizing it or they're not listening to the transformation that's being asked of them. And I think that this is something I see often with people I work with who are really successful, who are depressed, because they're not able to take on the, um, the blessings of what they've been given because they don't actually see their achievement as a blessing. They see it as a result of hard work, or which it often is. And, and blessings are often camouflaged as hard work. Um, but all of us have these pressures on us. I do. Anybody listening to this does. Where there is a intelligence that originates outside this lifetime outside their history and their biography that is their conditioning and at the same time is what the Buddhists call their dharma. Meaning, yeah, you are not caused by your parents, your environment, your traumas, your disappointments. You're causing them. Without blame, you're causing them to inform yourself about restrictive beliefs. And I by no means have transcended this. So I'm not being judgmental of anybody because I've got a whole bunch of limiting beliefs myself that I'm attempting to resolve. But everybody comes in contact with their own limitations of realization in the living bardo. And the funny thing is, I think the same thing happens in the the post-life bardo and the pre-life bardo, which is the things that you get attached to that you think are real are the things that interfere with your realization. There's a great saying. I say it all the time to my friends, uh, especially when they're hiking. (laughs) is that sometimes in the Maya a stick appears to be a snake and that's true for us in this life and outside of this life we get attached to and averse to and attracted to things that aren't even what they appear because we have predilections and beliefs about what we like, what we don't, what makes us more whole, what makes us more likable, what makes us more safe, what makes us more sturdy. And one of the things that we have to let go of is the notion of the sturdy. Because one of the things that we get so focused on in our physicality is what makes me sturdy, what's going to last, what makes me safe, and ultimately nothing is. 
had this experience once and it doesn't really matter how I had the experience, but if anybody wants to know, I'll talk to him about it sometime. And the metaphor, and I've spoken to elderly people who are close to their death and worried about this. And I've swung my hand in a circle around the room and I've said all this and when I say all this, I mean physical reality. You know, 96, 97% of reality is non-physical according to quantum physics. It might be higher. It might be closer to 99. And the insight was all this. And when I say all this, I mean physical reality, whatever room or car or street or mountainside you find yourself on right now is a bubble in the white water of a crashed wave on top of an infinite ocean. And that's absolutely the truth. And your awareness of yourself and my awareness of myself is a bubble in the white water of a crashed wave on top of the infinite ocean that is the source of our consciousness, mine, yours, whoever's listening to this. It has infinite space and infinite time and infinite depth. And the things that you encounter in your life, more likely than not, are a result of your fixations. And the restrictions of your consciousness, my consciousness, and the restrictions of your understanding. And you can know what these things are because they're the things that you worry about. The things that you fear. They're the things that you think you need to be whole and to be loved and to be respected and to be honored. I had a really great friend who is an incredibly talented uh, screenwriter. And when I first met him, he just won an Academy Award uh, for writing a great movie. In fact, I had this experience when I was in the movie. I didn't yet know him. And uh, I was like watching the movie going, wow person wrote this movie is really smart which was unusual I don't have usually have that experiences in the movie in, in a movie I just watched the movie anyway when I first became friends with him he just won an academy award and you know was a bit of a phenom in the uh, film industry he was young and I said so are you happy 
it was one of the first conversations I had with him. And he looked at me and he kind of made a funny face. And he said, uh, well, the Buddhists are, are right. <laughs> it's all emptiness. And I think what he was saying was that he had achieved what he'd set out to achieve and he had uh, received adulation and respect and honors and he achieved something great and nothing had changed. And everything that I think he had imagined he was going to get from that, he'd gotten, but nothing had changed in his experience. I thought it was really profound, actually. I thought it was a really profound, intelligent uh, insight into the nature of achievement and success and reality, even though it was kind of a offhand comment that was sort of clever. And I don't think that it diminishes achievement knowing that. And I don't think that it diminishes commitment. I think that we all need to recognize that in our limitations and in our struggles, there are doorways. And there are doorways into our infinite nature. And there's a release from what William Blake called <laughs> the mind-forged manacles. And there's an understanding that our lives are not what we think they are. They're not this beginning, middle, and end thing. They're not a childhood and middle age or adulthood and middle age and old age and death. Our lives are an opportunity for clarity. Our lives are an opportunity to understand the nature of things beyond what our capacities were when we arrived. And so in my work, sometimes with psychedelics, with other people, sometimes what the psychedelics reveal and show people is their beliefs that have limited their understanding of themselves up to that point in their life. And whoa, can seeing that be painful? I mean, really painful. You know, the image I just got when I, when I, um, when I said that was I'd seen this, I'd seen this video of this dolphin that had got a fishnet stuck around its like kind of neck and it, or it was a seal actually. And it, it, it was, it was, it had been there obviously for years because it had grown around the fishnet. You know, its skin had grown around the fishnet and it had a deep indentation in it where the fishnet was restricting it. And it had malformed. And the diver cut it off 
And you could see as soon as he cut it off, something sort of released in the seal, knowing that it didn't have to feel like that anymore. And its skin sort of had a bit of elasticity. And I'm sure if you saw that seal in a year, it would look like a whole seal probably. Because we all grow toward the integrity of the intention of our <clears throat> organizing principle. No matter who we are, or whether we're a seal, or a person, or a dog, or a tree. In physical reality, there is an organizing principle in everything that is represented in the way that it's manifested. And in human beings, I think that's somewhat unique because they have the capacity to self-reflect. So they can rediscover their organizing principle at any point in their life. Or they can live it the whole way through. That happens as well. There's, it's not an either or thing. It's oftentimes a both. Because sometimes we live our organizing principles in some areas of our life, but not in others, or we're living them and we get off track and we get back in touch with them, take a deviation. But what's unique about each person is every person's organizing principle is unique. And what astrology reveals or psychedelics reveal is they reveal the opportunities that are designed into that organizing principle for realization. You know, Jung thought, Carl Jung didn't think that you solved your problems by insight. I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. He thought that what you did was you held two opposites in yourself that were conflicts. I'm smart but I'm dumb about some things I'm good with money but I'm bad with people I'm, <laughs> I'm, good, I'm good with people I'm bad with money whatever and you held those two things against each other long enough and eventually a third thing emerged and popped that resolved both those things so that it wasn't insight that healed you it was a state of consciousness that had been born from conflict that then looked at these two opposites and didn't care about them anymore because it was in a different place where it was no longer bound to them. And in these experiences I have with people, sometimes their conflicts are revealed to them as their misunderstandings and the ways that they've misunderstood themselves and maybe the moments in their lives where these misunderstandings were solidified as an event or a trauma that made, made them see what their misunderstandings were. And sometimes their misunderstandings are revealed to them when they're able to see their totality that their misunderstanding has blocked out or has distorted their perception of. And in these moments of realization, they no longer have to live with the distortion. And that is so liberating. 
And then what I want to say is for a lot of people in their death, they no longer have to live with their distortion. In their death, they can no longer hold their consciousness together with the wrapped into their integrity of their physical being with their, in their brain, which dies as the body dies. Their consciousness is re- released from that. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, I forgot about all this. Fuck, I wish I'd lived this. What was I thinking? Well, they got a big lesson about their conditioning, but what the living bardo is about is that you can awaken to that in this very life. Everything that's in the post-bardo world and the pre-birth bardo world is in the world you're in right now. And it's camouflaged. Right now I'm looking at a closet and it's a closet that's part of the bardo. In a house that's in Santa Monica, which is a real abstraction. And the bigger abstraction is Los Angeles and the bigger abstraction than that is California. And the bigger abstraction than that's North America, and the bigger abstraction than that's planet or the northern hemisphere, and then planet Earth, and then the solar system, the Milky Way, the universe, you know, but it's all just an abstraction. It's all a physicalization, it's all a frozen idea about light that's moved out of the Big Bang and is continuing to move. And we are calling it something that makes sense to us according to our conditioning. Just like we're calling ourself something that makes sense to us according to our conditioning. And in doing that, there are enormous parts of ourselves that are excluded. Parts that have enormous capacities for joy. Parts that have enormous capacities for compassion for ourselves. Which we can then extend to other people. Capacities for insight. And if you want to look at the world we're in right now because there's so much going on with fires in the West and chaos in the government. That's all a lot of stories about our own limitations and our own limited capacities to understand from the science of global warming to the tribalism that is both our political process in the United States and our sense of identity as separate from other nations and other peoples. 
and the amount of resources that are used defending that. That could be used for the benefit of people and a better utilization of our technologies, which I think a lot of this COVID challenge is about. That if you think about the amount of carbon that's been released, moving the US military around and the Russian military and the Chinese military, it's obscene. But that's all just built on our individual limited capacity for understanding. And one of the things that I feel really excited about and optimistic about is tying in, you know, what we're talking about is with quantum physics, because anything that I'm talking about in Tibetan Buddhism could also be discussed in quantum physics. Um, I think Tibetan Buddhism is like the colloquial language of a culture that's talking about the same things as Western scientists are talking about with quantum physics. And I think that the opportunity is, is that the lowest hanging fruit on the quantum physics tree is like the internet and television and radio and stuff like that. But there's fruits way up higher than that that we can't see yet. That are things that are going to be able to reverse engineer the environment and things like that. And that's really just the limitations of consciousness. You know, there's so much focus on in tech world, in tech language about reality being a simulation, a computer simulation. And then those same people are really interested in immortality, having their brains frozen. They make, they're making plans for cryogenics when they die so that when they discover diseases, uh, relief in, you know, centuries, they can be revived. Like physical life is all there is. It's all funny. It's all trying to create a metaphor for consciousness, for infinite realization. That's what the quest for immortality is. It's that, how do I get in touch with the part of my consciousness that never dies? It's not how can I make my physical body live forever? That is like tech people saying we're living in a simulation because everything that tech does, the internet, artificial intelligence, it's all actually a simulation of the consciousness that animates every single person that permeates the entire universe. It's a technological simulation of that. They have it ass backwards. And every single one of us is connected to that intelligence. In fact, every single one of us is an ambassador of sorts of that intelligence in physical reality. Each one of us is that intelligence's peephole into physical reality. And when we confuse ourselves and talk about the construction of our peephole and the materials it's made out of 
and the little part of the garden that we're able to look out onto for the intelligence that's looking through that peephole. That's where all our suffering is. And that's really something to think about. Where have you confused the peephole for the intelligence that's peering through the peephole? And with that, I think that's a good thing to leave you guys with and a good thing for you to, for you to contemplate. Until we meet again, thanks so much. Sorry.